everyone. This is the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. Um, listen in this week as I talk with my good friend Shiloh George. She is a trauma-informed care um, consultant and trainer and is just a wonderful human who I really enjoy working with, talking with, and being in relationship with. Um, the, today's episode has a lot. I actually, if you're a note taker because you enjoy learning, this is a really informative one with Shiloh. So get out your pen and paper or your notes app and um, kick back and listen in. Thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. In each episode, learn from thought leaders in health, wellness, mindfulness, leadership, and personal development. These folks have helped themselves and others to craft the solutions and strategies to live the life they want to be living. Listen in as these brilliant minds share their knowledge, wisdom, and spirit to inspire you to live a life you love. Hi, good morning, um, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Light with Ellen podcast. I'm here today with my very good friend and guest, Shiloh George. Um, say hey, Shiloh. Hey. <laughs> you can't see she's doing a little dance, but obviously it's a podcast, so we can't see that. Um, so Shiloh and I met probably almost two years ago. Two years. Okay. She's confirming. Yes. And um, we met on a project together. We were doing um, relationship building basically between community and government and galvanizing how government relates with community and building trust and authentic relationships. And we met and it was like kismet. We wanted to be friends. And Shiloh is a trainer, a coach, and a consultant. Um, she works uh, in also executive coaching and her focus area especially is in implementing trauma-informed practices as well as racial equity for organizations. And when she and I were talking, it's just it's so multifaceted doing this work. It's not just hiring someone like, you know, Shiloh or myself or someone to come in for a day and do a training to tick the box. And now, boom, we're a racially equitable organization. Boom, we're trauma informed in our communication. It is a process of changing. I think this is the way she and I have talked about it often changing hearts and minds and learning new ways of being to then be at work and in space and in community to create something. And Shiloh was nodding. I'm going to stop talking here. And um, Shiloh, is there anything else you want to add as an introduction about yourself? Yeah, I think one of the things that is helpful for me and is a uh, a bit of a, a cultural practice to um, is uh, in introducing myself in a particular way. Um, and I, uh, you know, I'm Southern Cheyenne and Arapaho as well as Scottish and Irish. So um, those, that's an important part of my identity and important part of, of protocol of, of letting people know who my ancestors are and where I come from. Um, I've grown up on a, uh, Chinook Multnomah lands just northwest of uh, Portland. Um, some other things about me is uh, I identify as queer and two-spirit, and those are two different concepts. Um, and I also identify as uh, super fat. I'm a fat activist, and I use the term fat in a, a good way, not a pejorative type of way. It's kind of a re, re taking back that, that word, like a queer person, like queerness, um, for queer people. And then I'm also a trauma survivor myself from childhood and throughout my life. So that's a big part of why I do trauma informed care work because 
I have a trauma brain myself and have had to navigate systems that have re-traumatized me many times um, and have worked with a lot of people in my life who've experienced trauma as well. So um, I think that those practices are just absolutely invaluable um, and essential everywhere, not just in behavioral health or medical settings. Um, Yeah. And uh, yeah, just identify as being kind of a quirky weirdo. (laughs) Relationships are the most, I think, uh, important part of the work that I do and are the, the bedrock of everything that I do. So yeah. I'm going to pause you right there and let you know that anyone I run into, like who knows that I know you is like, Oh my God, Shiloh. And it's just, they fall over themselves with how much they love you in their space, working with you ways that, so you guys, Shiloh has this way of working that I'm going to get emotional talking about it finally gives permission to people who haven't given themselves permission to step into themselves fully for a very long time, if not since like childhood. And this is like a trauma-informed communication meeting in a communications department. And I can see growth happening, like just because she's standing there being exactly who she is. It's a special thing to be able to to watch her work and, and to know the people that she has impacted, excuse me, impacted. It's awesome. Thank you so much for saying that. I appreciate it. I think that that's, well, you know, I mean, I wanted to be doing work where I could be me. Um, And I think that's an important part of what I bring to the spaces that I'm in, right? I think that's an important part of each of us. Um, I also think it's really challenging. Um, This comes up a lot uh, at a particular government agency that I do a lot of work for, uh, where I don't know where this is coming from. I don't know if it's a, I I forgot to ask, I heard it yesterday during a meeting, um, with them, but bringing your full self to work and how hard that is in, in most spaces. And I mean, I have the luxury of doing that because I'm a contractor. So you've hired me, this is what you've hired. Right. So I try to be really clear about, um, you know, I'm going to come in with a little bit of humor, with a lot of love. Um, I'm also going to call bullshit when needed. I'm going to cuss occasionally. Um, and I'm just going to like be me and, um, I try to be as authentic. I mean, obviously you're getting curated versions version of me, but try to be as authentic as I can because I want other people to feel like they can be, because I think that it, we are, it, it's a barrier when we can't, authentically be ourselves, right? And to really do the deep work that needs to get done to be people that can transform systems, right? So um, yeah, I just, that's just an essential. And I just, for my own mental health, just have to do that. Like I'm tired of, you know, a lot of the identities I carry are um, identities that people have a lot of problems with. Queer people have a lot of problems with fat people. Like, uh, you know, you've caused your own problem. You're, you've chosen to be queer. You've chosen to be fat. Like all of people have all these stereotypes and judgments and I'm just tired of it. And so I just want to be me and to, um, find the, the part of myself that is empowering, um, and to acknowledge who I am. Um, finally in my life, I'm in my mid forties, um, and not, you know, it's my way of sort of like uh, flipping the birdie at, you know, this sort of colonial bullshit of what beauty standards are, what health standards are, what relationship standards are. Like, I'm just tired of it, you know? So, and I think a lot of people, I think we're seeing right now, a lot of people are tired of the bullshit, 
you know, and want something different. And now we're willing to, I think, take some, some stands on some things, but um, yeah, I don't want to play around anymore with trying to be something somebody wants me to be. So yeah. I think that people can feel that. And then that can help <laughs> us be honest, honest about the systems we're working in that are bullshit, that are harmful, yeah. that are violent. So I want to back up just a tiny bit because you're saying so many things. I know we're going to dive into a, a good conversation. Yeah. One of the things I want to ask you, Shiloh, for why you show up in the space as you do and how you do the work that you do. Um, anything to add? Yes. I think it's a couple of different things. I think that because of my life experiences and the work that I've done, so over 20 years of work um, in social services and working with some of the most vulnerable people in our community and, and populations of people that our community would really like to just throw away. So people who struggle with severe and persistent mental illness and drug use, um, adults with um, cognitive disabilities, right? Um, people with other kinds of disabilities um, are not people that we value in our community, um, people who are houseless and struggling to find housing. Um, people of color, you know, are not valued. So clearly, um, if anyone's confused about that at this point, I don't know what to tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, just working, you know, and also identifying with some of those folks as well throughout my life and, and seeing how impactful trauma has been in people's lives and how that permeates your entire life. Um, particularly if you experience trauma consistently or if you've experienced it as a child, it really can and often does impact your life in such specific ways that is oftentimes hard for us to see. And then we have uh, ways that we cope, right? Um, and so this, the colonial systems are traumatizing. And I think it's traumatizing for white people too, you know? And although it, they're also benefiting from all of this as well. So it's kind of a little bit more complicated in that direction. But so having that like life and work experience, being someone who's really worked on compassion and empathy. I mean, I feel like I've you have to have great compassion and empathy to do that type of work. And um, you have to learn about yourself. And then I was also finding, um, I got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, uh, I guess, later in life, in my late 30s and early 40s. And honestly, like I had been doing like frontline social work my entire life and wanted to do more at admin and, um, you know, be like a director or something like that. And I, um, was finding just these like barriers and I, I know that my body size is a big barrier and, and I know that people who don't, who don't live in fat bodies don't really understand that, but there's a lot of research out there about, um, discrimination. Um, for fat-bodied people, um, both in getting jobs and pay and training and getting move, moved up. And I was <clears throat> in an organization um, and was really seeing um, how I was not getting the training that I needed, was not being getting this, the um, training and the expertise and the information, like budgeting, like no one would ever let me help me figure out how to budget, right? Um, I was never allowed to be on hiring panels. Um, and those are really essential and important things to learn as you want to move forward, right? I just, it was and really- And I'm laughing up. because like, I think you get invited in on hiring panels now as a consultant. I do, I do. Yeah. I like, yeah. like your point of view is very relevant. <laughs> so this was before, you know, so as yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there, just this was like 
three or four summers ago and just being devastated. Like I'd applied for several director positions at other nonprofits and would always get to me and one other candidate and I would never get the job. And I remember there was one particular agency that gave me, I asked for feedback and they were like, you know, when you came in, we really liked, you know, you have an amazing work experience and your resume is amazing and how you talk about things is amazing, but we didn't really feel like you really wanted the job. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like I, ugh. and so I, I remember I went to the agency that I was currently working at. There was this area where we had a chart room and that's where I would go to cry. And oh, um, <laughs> crying. I feel like, does everyone in a workplace sometimes have a place where they go cry? I think so. I think it's bathroom a stall. Bathroom yeah. Stall. Um, <laughs> I, well, this was <laughs> hardly anyone went in there. And, um, so I was in there and I was crying and I was talking to my ancestors because that's part of my culture. And that's part of a normal thing that a lot of us do. I know people outside of our culture are like, what? Um, so I was praying and talking to my ancestors about how I was feeling. And they were like, you've got to make a choice here. Like you either, choose, cause I was thinking about being a business owner and doing consulting and contracting. And I had been doing trainings for free for several years and had several friends be like, you need to start charging. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Anyways, they're like, you need to decide whether you want to be a business owner or you want to move up in an agency. What do you want to do? And so I chose to start my own business and then I took classes and then it just was one of those things where, you know, you're on the right track because things just happen. Like I was three months into having my business and that's when this regional government came along and was like trauma-informed practices. What are those? Um, and then I got this like good size contract, uh, and I was able to leave my full-time job about six months into that work. So I think it's, it's just taking all my years of experience and trying to help people. I love the conversations of complex uh, systems and how do we subvert them? How do we deconstruct them? How do we create new things? Um, I think being um, a trauma survivor and being queer and being fat, you have to learn how to hack life. You have to learn where you're safe and where you're not safe. You have to learn how to navigate systems uh, in really dynamic ways. And so I think just taking all of that experience, all those feelings, and then putting it into creating trainings, right? And like, really, like, let's, let's, let's really talk about what's going on here. Like, let's take a moment and be real with ourselves and each other. And if you can find groups of people who can do that and who can really one, look at yourself first and what are your assumptions and judgments that you're making? Um, what do you really feel like in your workplace? What do you think is really happening? And then you start working on concepts and training on concepts and then people start to figure out things and then they feel validated um, it can feel a little therapeutic to people, even though I'm not doing therapy, it can feel therapeutic. And then you start working on the implementation and how does this really work in real life for us? So I think that stuff's fascinating. I find people fascinating. So I don't know, I guess that's, and also I just want the world to, to stop harming people of color and, uh, people with disabilities and people who are marginalized. I want us to be good to each other and we can be. And one of the things that I remind people of, especially in the Northwest is that the colonial government has only been here for a little over 150 years. Like this is not, these are not structures that have been around forever in this particular part of the world. So we don't have to keep them. We don't have to keep doing it like this. And so just trying to give people that context. And I absolutely don't like colonial systems and I absolutely want to see them gone. 
Like, I don't, I'm not interested in like reforming them because that doesn't do anything other than make it so that maybe a couple other people don't feel bad. And then white people can still have all the privilege and power that they want. Like that's bullshit. I don't want that. And I have to be a little bit covert, I guess about that, but I'm also just like, I'm going to be real with you. I think these systems are bullshit and they're harmful and we need to change them. And this is what, this is what I want. Like I really like about how you work because there's this like I feel like in that sharing of the why, we just kind of got a full spectrum of like a beginning place for your personal story and where you where you root from to the macro level of like how it has to change because there are so many identities that you represent that are historically oppressed and marginalized. You're native, you live in a fat body, you're queer. There's so much going on that white supremacy culture, colonial culture does not con- condone. It condemns. Yeah. And none of that is okay. And right, like what does reform look like? It looks like, sometimes I feel like reform looks like taking a training, taking a box, saying we're doing the work and then, but internal work hasn't happened. And that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit because I think when in my experience also coming into an organization, there's, and I want to say that this is something I think that you do very, very well. Um, there's, because within within systems, anything, people need to understand sort of like the sideboards and a framework of like, here's today and this is where we're going. They still want a map. They still want a process. They still want something linear. And I think as humans, we want that. We want to understand where we're going because God, we don't want surprises. People are very, especially when big changes are happening and you're like, I don't know if I have all the right equipment to defend myself because that's what happens when change starts, right? We like defenses go up, we get protective and that is actually not conducive to learning and changing, right? And so this is what I love about how you work. You go into a space and you're always focused. And I remember this when we were working together and then I remember this like moving out your center point is relationship building. Because when you talk about overthrowing, like overthrowing colonial bullshit, I think what people who aren't yet really in the work here is she wants to get rid of me. I'm a white person. I'm so scared now, right? But if you actually get to meet Shiloh and work with Shiloh, what you realize is, holy crap, she sees me as a human. She sees me as imperfect and trying. And I feel like she's going to hug me at the hardest moment of my dark night of the soul when I'm starting to realize all kinds of stuff I've bought into and didn't realize it. That is what I see. I'm like passionate. I'm talking louder now. That is what I see in you when you work with people, which is why I think you are one of the few. And I don't want to say like I'm dismissing other folks. I haven't worked with enough of other people Mm -hmm. to know how everybody's working. But is why I think the way that you work is one of the most advantageous because it's not just saying we're going to tackle racism head on, y'all. It's saying we're going to work on ourselves as people to finally accept ourselves so that we can know how to accept other people also. And like Shiloh, just you knock this out of the park when you build relationships with people. Thank you so much for the the wonderful things that you say and your observations of my work is really helpful to me and I'm I really appreciate it. I think that my, I think that I work I'm happy to to kind of pop into an agency and give a training or something but um to be really honest I think 
to really get the benefit of um, the ideas that I offer or my experience or energy or whatever is to really work with me on um, like a relational, you know, trajectory, right? Um, I think that that's where people get the best benefit of me. Um, And so I have a training series that I've created. It's kind of a a foundation series um, around, you know, it is about trauma-informed approaches. And we're going to start out simply asking each other three questions and answering those three questions about what do you think a healthy relationship is? Like, what does that mean to you? What does uh, feeling, what do you need to feel safer in a space, um, both psychologically, um, emotionally, and physically? And then who supports your liberation and how? And going through and just answering as, a, as an individual, I'm going to write down a couple notes of what comes up for me on those questions, and then talk as a group. It gives us a way to really get to know each other a little bit better. It's a way, if we're talking about a work setting, for people to get to know their coworkers better. Like my idea of a healthy relationship may be very different from someone I work closely with or someone who I don't know as well, but um, we, you know, are sort of in the same department and sometimes have to work with each other. So, or we may have very similar ideas about that. And so looking at those three questions and like, let's unpack some of the values that we have instead of just going on them, right? So a lot of things that we value, a lot of our assumptions and judgments are very tacit. Like we're not really aware of how we came up with those judgments and ideas, what they are and how they're impacting the way we think about the world, the way that we interact with the world, the way we write policies and procedures, right? Where are the gaps in our knowledge and our experience? If I am a white dude, I probably am not going to be as concerned about my physical safety as maybe a woman is, right? Or, um, or a black man, right? Like, so um, it's important to have those conversations with each other and to try to be as honest as possible so that we can unpack those things. We can also see where white supremacy creates problems for us, right? Where we assume things about people, or we assume we should act a certain way, or another person should act a certain way. And if they don't, then there's something wrong with them, or they're a problem, they're a problem, or they're just not quote a right fit for this agency, right? Because maybe they tell the truth, they speak truth to power. Um, maybe they're not gonna put up with your bullshit. Um, there's all kinds of, of things going on there. So like just simply having that conversation can bring up a lot for people of like, oh, I've never even thought about that. What is the point of doing this work if we're not thinking about how that work manifests in our in ourselves? Where does that knowledge come from? How are we wielding that knowledge that we don't understand as a weapon against people and sometimes against ourselves? So it's a process of starting with ourselves, starting with relationships, starting with understanding each other and creating some camaraderie and some relationship in a different way with your coworkers. And then let's delve into what is social oppression? What is cultural humility? What is intergenerational and historical trauma? How is that impacting the ability for me? And again, I mostly work with government agencies, but it could be any agency. How is that impacting my ability to serve the people I'm working with or to create a product or to create an atmosphere or to get information? Like if I'm just blindly going through life because I'm not doing any kind of interpersonal work, any kind of self-critique, I'm going to keep fucking it up and just be completely unaware and be like, I don't know what's happening. Like, you know, (laughs) I feel like this is the moment where it's like, it is better to enter the dark night of awareness and stuff than to continue to bang around blindly. 
smacking elbows into people's faces without knowing it. For yeah. yourself, exactly. It's like I keep walking into, you know, stepping on the rake in the yard and having the handle come up and hit me in the head. <laughs> like that's the image that comes to mind with like not doing personal huh? work. I mean, this is why I started a two-pronged business. I was like, here's my consulting end, here's the coaching yeah. end, very similar to what you have Absolutely. also embodied. It's like it's both, it's both. You have to just change systems. You can't just come in as a system fix. It's about hearts and minds. Absolutely. I mean, you got to start there and you don't stop there. You don't stop with like doing my, you know, I'm doing my personal work. And and that's one of the, one of the things about um, American society you have to be really careful of is that rugged individualism, right? And coming from a culture of, of deep community and, you know, being native, like we're all about, like, you can be an individual, but like, it's about the collective. And that's how you, that's how we literally have survived before colonizers got here and since colonizers have been here, like there was never a plan for us to survive. Like we were supposed to be dead by now. So like, that's a really intense thing to hear, but I need people to hear that. Like Native Americans supposed to be dead. So um, the fact that we're all here and we're actually doing pretty good is like a testament to our survivance and our brilliance and strength. So, um, and the power of our culture, right? And so, and the ancestors, like I want to honor the ancestors. So, um, so at the same time that we do that critique work, we also need to be understanding and learning the systems, right? Unlearning cultural stuff that we don't need, like white supremacy that shows up in agencies, that shows up in professional culture. So things like perfectionism, worshiping the written word, paternalism, conflict avoidance, which I swear to you is like, I, what I hear the top three is that I always hear is, uh, perfectionism, uh, paternalism and, uh, conflict avoidance are all the three things that I see of like the top three things that like, that like organizations really struggle with. They don't want to be in conflict that's uncomfortable. I mean, I think that like, it's a, it's a constellation approach. It's a multi, it's a multi-view approach, which is um, complex and nuanced. And I'm not going to be the person who's going to come in and solve your problems for you. I'm not the person who's going to come in with a plan, like a, like a linear plan and a, and a box you can tick off. Like that's, there's certain practices we can do that are super helpful. Like, I'll give you a couple of them. So like, make sure you have a detailed agenda before a meeting. Um, if you're going to be in a meeting and you're going to show a video or a presentation and you need to turn the lights down, you need to let people know, hi, I'm going to turn the lights down right now. Give a couple beats and then slowly turn the lights down or whatever and do the same when you turn them back on. So the simple practices, I mean, absolutely. But then there's the part of trauma-informed practice, which is, and this is, um, there's a part that's, that's us, right? We've kind of talked about that. Like the, the part about ourselves and the practice in ourselves and how does that show up, um, with our compassion and our empathy and our, our drive to do this. This is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Um, and then there's the practice around, um, you know, policies, practices, and procedures. How is this showing up in the day-to-day? The culture of the agency, which is kind of difficult to talk about sometimes. It's sometimes hard to see the culture of the agency you work in, especially if you're a white person. Like, it can be hard to see the culture of your life, how you were raised, but also the culture of the agency you work in that is almost always white dominant, right? So, um, and then there's the piece about how do you then um, interrupt 
and address uh, a systemic oppression, right? So we're looking at systems, we're looking at interpersonal relationships, conversation, the day-to-day, and then we're looking at internally what's happening with us. And that's what that practice is. And and with trauma-informed practices, it's really the bedrock to do other types of equity or justice work. It gives you a common vocabulary. It's sort of the vehicle. So there isn't like uh, there was, there's an agency I'm working with and one of the departments is doing a strategic plan. And so in their strategic plan, they had like trauma-informed practices as like a portion. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is the whole, trauma-informed practices is the whole thing. Racial equity is the whole thing. Like everything is, people like to use the word lens, which I get, but it's, it's really like you're planting a, a garden, right? And the garden has to have, justice in it. It has to have liberation in it. It has to have um, trauma-informed practices in it. Like sometimes what will happen is um, people will be like, oh, we've been doing racial equity, but now we want to do trauma-informed practice. So they'll take their funding from racial equity to trauma-informed practice. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Those two are together. You do not defund one to fund the other. Like that doesn't, doesn't work. After doing this, you know, with the, this government agency and working across the agency, there's definitely emotional skills that people need. Um, and this is came up recently, you know, the things I'm talking about and that you've mentioned too, the, the distress tolerance. And um, especially if we're talking uh, about white folks, like um, how do you have the distress tolerance needed to be able to talk about race and not get defensive, not be fragile, right? Not start crying, not have guilt and shame overwhelm you so you can't move forward, right? We want, I want to honor and acknowledge that all those emotions exist and they're real and they're valid. And how do we tolerate them enough and process them enough and hold them in a certain way, which is going to be different for different people, right? Because everyone's different, um, so that we can still do the work, so that you can still keep um, your prefrontal cortex online, your executive functioning online. This is like trauma-informed care speak. How do you keep your brain online so that you can participate in this information? If your brain goes offline and you're in a panic mode or a trauma mode or, a de- you know, that defensiveness and all of that is going to come up and you're not actually going to be able to think in here. So how do we get from there to a place where we can be open, right? Um, and you know, and and BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, and people of color also have um, skills that we need to learn and practice, right? And some of those skills might be a little more around self care, might be more around what is my emotional capacity right now? Like I don't have capacity to hold your hand. Sorry, like I need to take care of myself. Like so, it's a little bit of a different conversation, and also internally, like BIPOC folks need to do their own work around their own racism with other groups of people. Right. So there are there's black anti-blackness in native communities and there's a reason for that. Right. And so, um, you know, I'm seeing it come up. I know that it happens in, you know, Asian communities. Right. Um, There are a lot of black folks who don't understand native sovereignty. Right. So we all have work to do with each other as well. Right. So it's not just kind of like white people, you suck and you need to do all the work. (laughs) Um, yeah, there's a lot of work for you to do and to catch up with, but like we have our own work as BIPOC 
folks as well. And I also like being, you know, you can't see what I look like, but I'm a white appearing native woman. And there's uh, an aspect that I have to acknowledge a privilege that I get from that. It really sucks that my identity is invisibilized a lot of the time outside of my community, but there's a privilege that comes with that. And it is not the same that that hurt isn't the same as a black or brown person moving through life, dealing with very serious um, mm-hmm. circumstances, right? Of surveillance and violence um, and discrimination. That's really intense. So like, un- like I've had to do and continue to do a lot of work unpacking my own identities as well and how they show up. So the other thing I think that is helpful for people when I go in is I don't like, again, I don't have all the answers. I don't know how to fix all of this. It's also not my job to fix all of it. Um, it's not on my shoulders, but let's, how do we work collaboratively together on this? How do we have conversation? How do we, um, work through the problem solving of it? Right. How can I support you? Um, and so there's, I think for me, it's a lot of, both helping people with the emotion of feeling hopeless, feeling frustrated, feeling upset that um, maybe people in the agency, like in leadership roles are speaking the language of racial equity or racial justice and trauma-informed practice, but it's not happening. And the frustration that people feel from that and seeing that and the hypocrisy of it, how do you sit with that and move through it and, and still do the work, right? Even though you feel exhausted and angry. Um, and a lot of white folks I work with are doing amazing work. Like they're, they're at, at like accomplice levels of, of doing this work and they're frustrated and they get exhausted. So again, it's meeting the person where they're at. I think, you know, you and I, and probably other practitioners, we have to be flexible to, to be able to offer what it is that people need in that very moment. Right. And sometimes we can't, like, we're not, you know, we're not like superheroes. We don't know everything. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly. And sometimes it's just talking people in again, into that place of, of grace. Um, and re like, let's just look at the landscape of like what's going on here. And, you know, I do get frustrated sometimes with not with people, but with organizations, like with the mechanisms. Um, And so uh, I see people trying really hard um, and I see people moving forward and it's not my, um, I'm not interested in judging if people are getting there fast enough, right? There's no, that's not a thing. Like you get there when you get there, it's your process. Um, And in orgs, um, people will ask me about this. There are people who do not want to do this work who do not want to learn about trauma-informed practices. And sometimes that's because they're the trauma survivors themselves. And it's scary to, to, even though, and I want to be really clear about trauma-informed practices. And when I train for this, we're not going to talk about trauma stories. We're not going to relive our trauma stories. I'm not going to tell you trauma stories because that's triggering, right? I would not be trauma-informed. So that's not happening, but it can still be hard on people, right? To, to go through and, and learn those things, especially if we talk about early childhood experiences of trauma and how they impact over a lifespan. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, people will either figure it out and they'll come to their own awareness and they'll get on board or they won't. And there's plenty of organizations they can go to that's not doing this work, this work. So, um, we don't, we don't stop for everybody. Like you just, you keep moving forward. Right. And people will get there. Um, one of the things that I really love, um, about this department I've been working with is they were like, can we make this training mandatory? And I was like, no, it's not really trauma informed. Um, so they decided the training is not mandatory. 
it's highly, highly encouraged, obviously, but the principles and, 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 um, using the principles and using the practices are, uh, required and they're going to be baked into this, this department, baked into the strategic plan, baked into how we do things. So, um, I feel like what I find is people, there are people who are champions of this work and they will champion it in their department and their agency. They will be the people who move the work forward. Um, and that's what I want. Like I want little minions who are going to move this work forward and I can help and support in the ways that I can, but I'm only one person. So um, it's important that the agency takes on this work and figures out how to make it real for them. And I'm there to kind of help in that way. But I feel like I do a lot of emotional work with people. I try to create a learning environment that is a space that we can move through these emotions. I mean, we can talk, anybody can talk about distress tolerance in a concept, but like, how do you literally experience it? Um, and so I think that that's kind of a unique, there's a difference between the concepts and then actually living it and creating a structure for it. My role is to help and support and train. We could talk for four hours. I know. <laughs> Shiloh, Shiloh, thank you so much for coming. And one thing that is coming to mind right now that um, I have done in, I do in my meetings, but I didn't do, I haven't done for this podcast at all. And I think I need to remember to do it is an acknowledgement, a land acknowledgement. Oh yeah. Would you lead us in one as we close? Okay. I want to acknowledge the land I'm currently on, which is uh, Chinook, uh, Multnomah land in particular. Um, But I also hang out a lot in Portland, which is, um, you know, uh, Northern Malala uh, land, um, Kalapulia land, uh, also Chinook, Multnomah land, uh, Clackamas uh, land more to the south, Tualatin folks more a little more to the west. You have Mm -hmm. Cowlitz folks across the Columbia River to the north. Um, and many, many other, uh, tribes and bands that have called, uh, that area home since the beginning of time. And even though, um, you know, it's, it's oftentimes our communities are very invisible. Um, our native communities, like we still have people who are part of those tribes that live in this area. We also have want to acknowledge the ancestors that come with this land and their wisdom. Um, and that uh, in modern times, a lot of folks are now part of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, the um, Confederated Tribes of Salets Indians, um, and other uh, tribes as well. So, um, you know, acknowledging land is one step. It's one part of, of doing um, work, uh, reparation work, um, and relationship building work with tribes. Um, we should also be um, reading about the history of the places that we live. Um, we should also be connecting with tribal communities. Um, and, you know, another thing is to, to participate in other people's culture. Thank You're you. You're amazing. You're amazing. 